there are some incredibly encouraging words that Jesus shares. In John 10, 10, he says, uh, the first of all, he says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then he says, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. And the little nuance about that phrase, I have come that they can have life and have it to the full, it actually, if you, if you break it down a little bit, what Jesus is saying is, I've come so that people can have life that goes beyond even the best life that they possibly imagine. And, and when you think about it in the terms of what it means to have a full life, well, a full life is a life that has ups and downs, right? It's a life that's experienced many, many things. It's, a, it's not just a life that just kind of floats along doing everything easy all the time. And so why, why do I say that as we start this morning? Well, as we honor our moms and as we think about the moms that are in here and we want to honor them as we should, I also have a realization that anytime you reach a holiday, doesn't matter what holiday it is, um, holidays bring about a vast <clears throat> array of emotions for everybody, right? Because maybe you're like me and uh, I don't have a mother living on this earth anymore. My mom passed away some years back and so, you know, Mother's Day is one of those days that you remember some of those things and they're sweet memories but they're difficult. Perhaps you're not a mom yet. You want to be. Perhaps you're having difficulties with that. Perhaps I, I know that there's a vast array of emotions. But the thing that I know beyond that vast array of emotions, there's two things. Number one is that Jesus Christ came so that you can have a full life. So if you're here and today's a happy day and celebrating, that's awesome. We get to celebrate that with you. Jesus wants to be in the midst of that. And if today's a day that may be full of some memories that are a little bit difficult and uh, maybe it's a difficult day for you because We've designated a, a time to highlight a relationship. Know this, that Jesus is right there in the midst of that with you as well. So no matter where it is, that is somewhere that Jesus can meet you. But the second thing that is true is that Jesus Christ is where a follower of Christ finds their identity. We don't gain our identity from our accomplishments. We don't gain our identity from our family we don't gain our identity anywhere outside of the love of Jesus Christ, who's made each and every one of us uniquely. He loves each and every one of us. He's gifted us to be able to experience life to the full. And that's my desire for each and every one of us today. So know that we celebrate moms. We're thankful for moms. We're happy that you're here. We hope it's an incredible day for you. And Jesus wants to be right in the midst of this. And one of the things that stood out to me as we prepared for this day is, you know, I thought about my mom. I'm just going to go ahead and start with the my mom story because I get to talk and you don't. So I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with a mom who uh, was a very tough lady. Not tough to me. She was just tough. Uh, mom had lupus, diabetes. Uh, my adult life, she dealt with those type of things. I watched her battle those diseases as she continued to live her life as she continued to love her kids and her grandkids and beyond, just an incredible lady. And kind of one of the stories that stands out to me, she was kind of a no-nonsense lady. And here's, here's kind of the way she loved her kids and how I knew she was here. When, when I was in the seventh grade, um, I had, I, it was that awkward year that everybody hits. You know, that was me in seventh grade. Uh, it was glasses. It was braces. It was, you know, big feet. It was all these things happening at once. And I, had, I remember that I had been to the orthodontist one day, and they do that thing where they tighten up the braces, you know, so you have the headaches, you're dealing with the stuff like that. And one of the things the orthodontist had told me to do is, well, if you chew some gum, 
it actually kind of helps loosen it up and, and uh, you know, help you with that day. So I was chewing gum, but then I went back to school. Well, there was a rule at school. We weren't supposed to be chewing gum at school. Anybody else have that rule? Okay, I guess we as middle schoolers can't handle it without putting it all in hair and doing things like I, I don't know what it was, but we had that rule. Well, so I got caught chewing gum at school. Now, my mom also, she was a pediatric nurse. So she worked all day in, in a nursing uh, area where she's dealing with kids and dealing with their issues and doing those things. She had taken off, taken me to the orthodontist and back. And uh, so I get called to the office. Now, in the office, this was the funny thing. Mr. Richardson was our principal. I don't know where he is now. If you're sitting in the off- audience, even Mr. Richardson, hey, how are you doing? Um, he, you know, in my middle school mind, he was about eight foot seven, but I actually think he was about six foot six. He was a big, big man. And this is back in the day when you got licks. Anybody get licks? Anybody else? Okay, well, good. Yeah, some, everybody raise your hand. You got licks, whatever. I'm not the only one. So I am honestly a little bit fearful because I'm going, man, all I did was chew gum. And now I'm sitting in here with this big giant man who's about to hit me with this board, you know, and I'm, I'm scared. But before they did that, of course, they had to contact parents and do this. And I'll never forget this phone call. Here's my mom in a nutshell. So here's this man sitting in his chair. He calls my mom at work. Miss Holloway, I just need to let you know, uh, we've caught your son chewing gum at school, and we need to, you know, we need to give him punishment and stuff for that. And I watch this man, and here's my mom's voice coming over speaker. She goes, I need you to understand something. I've had to take off work. I took my son to the orthodontist. He got his braces tight, and the orthodontist told him that he could chew gum, and now I'm back at work. Please do not call me at work talking about my son chewing gum. Did anybody get hurt? No. Did anybody? No. And I watched this man just start going like this <laughs> to my mom. And I, as a little seventh grader, start going, yes, yeah, my mom. What you going to do, man? You know, so you just have that moment where you just have that, ah, oh, I love that. And so... I knew that my mom loved me, and, I, and, and I, as I think about those things today, there's, there's great memories. But then, of course, there's also the sadness that, that she's not here. And so I know that we deal with that, but we do want to honor moms today. And there was a passage that I think does this in a very unique way. It's in 2 Timothy. It begins in verse 3. And look at these words. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And Timothy had journeyed with Paul on a lot of his missionary journeys as he was starting churches. And Timothy had come alongside him, and now Paul is, is older at this point in time. Actually, Paul's probably not going to live much longer. So he's writing some instructions to Timothy in 2 Timothy. But he begins the letter with this. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul writing to Timothy. He says, remembering your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I recall... Your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am now convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. As I read this passage, there was something that came to mind. There's, there's not a compliment that a parent loves to hear more than, boy, you have such great kids. Is that right? If you're a parent, somebody comes to you and just, oh, I just, your kids are just a joy. I just love to be here. I wish I could say that my mom heard that more than she did. Um, but there's just nothing that's more of a compliment and, and you look forward to. And so I think it's amazing that Paul, in the midst of writing to Timothy, takes the time to recognize, hey, Timothy, 
what you have and the experience that you've been given in life is unique and it's a gift. And your mom did some things to make this happen. And her mom did some things to make this happen. And now, Timothy, you need to recognize this. And you need to take that gift and you need to work on it and fan it into flame and live it out yourself because you've been given a gift. Because let's, let's be honest, that there are those that can say that they came from a, a, a wonderful background of support and nurturing and love. And there's others that would say, I didn't necessarily have that type of a background growing up. I mean, there's some people in this place today that know that they have a mom, but they might not know who she is. And so Paul recognizes right here that, Timothy, you've been given something that's unique. But just because you've been given something unique, that's not something to take for granted. You now have the responsibility to do something with that. So I want to just share with you one thing this morning just to, to kind of set the foundation for what we're going to talk about. You know, when, when we look at this demonstration of faith, you need to understand this right off the bat. Faith cannot be inherited. Faith cannot be inherited. It's not something you can pass on to your children. It, it's something that can only be demonstrated. And this is what Paul recognized. Hey, you've had a great demonstration of faith by your mother and her mother before. But Timothy, that doesn't just get you off the hook. You now have to fan into flame what you've been given to work with. And I'll just say this. Julie and I were talking this week just looking back at working in, in youth ministry for years and seeing how different kids were raised and different family backgrounds. And oftentimes being in ministry and working with families, you get to see a lot of this stuff. And, and I'll say this, and this is just an, an observation, not necessarily saying it's true. I have no data research to back this up, but it's just one of those things that we've begun to recognize, and we think it's happening more and more. You have some kids who are raised in families where they, they do things like today. They're dedicating their kids. They're praying that they're going to raise them in a godly way. They're, they're coming to church. They're bringing them to church. And you see these kids raise up and you see them walk away from their faith. And then you see other kids who are raised in difficult environments. They struggle. They go through, they go through hard times. They may even have parents who are antagonistic against the faith. And up come these children and all of a sudden here they are following Christ. Then you have kids who are raised in a great environment, and they follow Christ, and they move. And you have kids who are raised in this environment, and they do. And it's almost like you, you want to stand back sometimes and say, there's, it almost seems like there's no correlation to what's going on here, to how kids you know, end up. Well, there's a truth behind that. And, and you, you know it, but you may not have thought about it this way. We all understand that we reach a point in our life where we have to make the decision, and we have to take responsibility for the decisions we make. We personally have to make the decision, am I going to follow Christ or not? Am I going to do the things that I know is best to do, or am I going to choose to do things a different way? Am I going to do things the way that I've been demonstrated and taught, or am I going to go out and try things on my own? And this is why Paul was saying to Timothy, hey, great, I've seen that you've had a great upbringing. I'm seeing that you're working on some things. But Timothy, it's your responsibility to fan into flame the things that have been entrusted and given to you through the demonstration of faith from your mom and your grandmother. And so it's an incredible reminder to us, faith can't be inherited, but it can be demonstrated. And I also want to just say this, if you are a parent, it doesn't have to be a mom, because dads go through this too. If you are a parent, who maybe you're in a season with your child where you wish more for them than they wish for themselves, we'll say it that way. When you see some things in their life where you're, 
you're wishing they were making different decisions or you're wanting more because you love them. And maybe they're not doing that. Understand this, that faith can be demonstrated, but it can't be inherited. As bad as you would want to, you can't go and give them these things. You can only set an environment where it's demonstrated, and they're going to have to come to it on its own. Which also brings me to this. I, I, just have, I just always feel the need to say this when we talk about parenting. Your identity is in Christ. It's not in the decisions your children make. You personally have a responsibility to choose to follow Christ and build up your faith so that you can live it and demonstrate it no matter what's going on. And your children are not a reflection of your faith. Your children are a reflection of their own decisions. Just like I'm a reflection of the decisions that I made, even though I understand that I was given the opportunity by parents to make certain decisions, there reached a point in time when I started making my own decisions. I can't look back at my parents in a good or a bad way and blame them for decisions that I made or did not make, you know. Poor mom just had to endure the phone calls. You know what I mean? She wasn't the one that put me in that position. And so it's kind of this understanding that we need to have is I believe what Paul's writing here is, man, Timothy, you've got a blessing here that you need to work on. Not everybody gets that blessing. And I think we understand that today. But I also would say this, that uh, if you've taken the time to be in this worship service today, I'm going to make an assumption. It's not necessarily a good thing to always make this assumption. But I'm going to make an assumption that you're at least in a position where you would say, I want to know what God has for my life. I want to know how to raise kids in the right way. I want, to, I want to at least open myself up to what God might have to say about this. And there were some things at the end of this passage that I think are real clear that we can use as a guide for this. Verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and of sound judgment. And so each individual has been given by God, if we choose to follow him, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of sound judgment. And so, therefore, we can use that spirit that God's given us of power and of love and of sound judgment to follow him in life, or we can choose to do our own thing. And so, you need to understand that personally, as much as you would like to pass on your faith or as much as you would like to do things for people, you can't force it on anybody else. You have to do what God has called you to do and live for him, and then you will be able to have everything that you need to be able to live your life as a demonstration for others. Let me show you what he's talking about. First thing he says is God's given us a spirit of power. So here's the truth. God is able. God is able. If you were to write that on your sheet right now, God is able. I would bet that for many of you in this place, what begins to happen is you say God is able or all the things begin to come to mind where you're struggling, wondering if God is able. Where you're wondering if God is really going to be able to work in that situation. Where you're thinking, how is this ever going to work out? God has not given us a spirit of fear where we spend some of our time thinking, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know how this is going to work out. I've been praying for this forever. I don't see anything happening. God, I'm doing my best. That's that spirit of fear. But God's given us a spirit of power. God is able. Where we can come to him and say, God, I trust that you love me. I trust that I'm doing the best that I can for live for you. And God, you know what's before me, and I just trust that you're able. I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know when you're going to do this. But I'm not going to lose my confidence that you are powerful and you are able. You are able to do these things. Even when you don't think things are going how they should be, 
they're not going beyond the control of God. Scripture gives testimony to that over and over and over and over again, where we may look at the world and think, this is just going out of control. But Scripture continues to remind us, nothing is beyond the grasp and the control and the power of God. And that should give you, as a believer in Christ, as a parent, as a student, as a child, a little bit of confidence knowing that if I have chosen to follow God, God has given me a spirit of power. But not only has God given me a spirit of power, God has given me a spirit of love alongside that power. Now, there's, there's a passage about love in Scripture that's read a lot. And a lot of the times that it is read, maybe at a wedding, and you hear people stop, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13. But I have to tell you, when I was reading 1 Corinthians 13 this week, and knowing that God has not only given us a spirit of power, but a spirit of love, when I read this, I thought, man, that's, that's the picture of what it means to be a mom. It's a picture of what it means to be a dad. It's a picture of what it means to be a parent. Listen to this. This is what it says about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Boy, how about that? I just think about this. I didn't understand this till I became a parent. I just, I don't know what my children could ever do that would make my love cease for them. It's not, it's not going to happen. And so when you read this passage and you really think about what it means to have God giving us a spirit of love, and what does love look like? It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. Doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It finds no joy in unrighteousness. Rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hope all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mom. And because that's what this looks like. And love is such an important part of our faith. Because for us to be able to love others, we really have to be able to understand the love that God has for us and the fact that we can love God with all our heart first. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 22, 37 and 40, when Jesus was asked by the scholars and the leaders of, day, of the day, Jesus, tell us what the most important commandment is. He replied this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So let me just say this little word to you. As I know many of you are moms, your parents, your caregivers. You're just in a position where you're giving and you're giving and you're giving. You also must remember that you first must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So that you have from him everything that you need to love those around you like you hope to be able to do. You see, one of the things that I think sinks in so much, and it seems like you're adding things to your life, but you're really not. When you put things in perspective and say, I'm going to seek 
God first. I'm going to make sure that I have done what I need to do to get from God what I need. Sounds selfish. Man, if you're a mom too, I know that sounds selfish. I need to put my kids first. No, no, no. You need to put yourself right there first to say that I need to seek the Lord first. I need to pursue him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength so that I love him and so that then he loves me in such a way that I can then love those around me, including my children, in a way that is impossible if I don't do that first. And so God's given us a spirit of power to believe that he is able. God's given us a spirit of love by first loving him. He then gives us the love that we can pour out to others. And then God's given us a spirit of sound judgment. Now, I don't know if you got this, but I did not get the instruction book when my kids were born. Did anybody get one of those? I didn't get that. I had always wished that that had shown up at some point in time. And even as a man, it's probably one instruction book I would have read. You know what I mean? You just feel sometimes where you're facing so many circumstances in life. And I promise you that I've asked this question. I know many people have asked this question. I, okay, God, I want to pursue you. I want to follow you. I've given you my heart and my life. I try to read scripture. But, man, it just seems like things come up in life and especially in parenting where I'm flipping through these pages going, what does God say about this? And sometimes it seems like God's word doesn't speak directly or specifically to the things in life that we have to navigate, oftentimes as parents or just as believers. But here's what we need to understand, that God's given us a spirit of power. He's able to do whatever. God's given us a spirit of love. He's also given us a spirit of sound judgment, meaning that by the spirit of God living in our lives and our pursuit of him, God is going to help us to be able to discern the right things to do Whatever situation we're facing, if you are a parent, that should make you go, God's going to help me do this. God's going to help me have sound judgment in parenting. You're not going to get it all right, all right? None of us are. But God's going to give us a spirit of sound judgment. Where does that come from? How do we discover this sound judgment? You know, and I was taught this, as as sometimes Scripture doesn't speak explicitly to situations, God's Word always gives us guidance no matter the situation. And so in sound judgment, I want to I show you some, some uh, verses out of the book of 1 Corinthians this morning that help us ask some questions to discern what sound judgment looks like. Okay, so I'll give you some tools to help come up with sound judgment. Let me set the frame here for just a little bit. 1 Corinthians, this is early in the life of the church. This is at the point where people are beginning to follow Jesus, but there's not really any rules set at the time. And so people are going, what are we supposed to do? How do we do this? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What's okay and what's not okay? What can I do and what do I, what do I not do? And there was one thing that was happening in the culture at the time. There were, there were people who would take the animals and they would sacrifice the animals to these idols and then they would butcher the animals and they would prepare them in the market and that was the meat you had to buy. So if you will, you know, you're going to Albertsons to buy the meat, but you're knowing that this meat's been sacrificed to an idol. And so they're just wondering at the time, is this okay? I mean, how do I, what do I do? Paul, first of all, he gives a response that, that sets up and he says, look, meat sacrificed to idols, what's an idol? 
an idol is nothing because we know that there's no other God other than God himself. So they're sacrificing this meat to nothing. And so Paul says, first of all, I don't have an issue with it. He goes, you need to feel the freedom to just be able to eat. But then he goes on and he gives some, some specific instructions to say, however, let's not just use our freedom in any way that we think is right. Let's consider some things as we experience our freedom in Christ. Here's some questions. I'm going to give you four questions you might ask in your life that would help you have sound judgment. Hopefully they'll help you whether you're raising kids or whether you're doing a job or whether you're just living life on your own. The first one is this, would my choice cause someone else to struggle with their faith? Would my choice in this situation cause someone else to look at what I'm doing and struggle with their faith in Christ? You see, here's here's where this comes from. 1 Corinthians 8.13, Paul's talking about this food. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I'll never eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Now, as a Texan, that seems wrong. I just want you to know this. As a man who has three grills sitting on his back porch, this just seems wrong. But understand the spirit of what Paul's saying. He's going, look, first of all, you need to understand that this food that's sacrificed to idols, it's sacrificed to nothing. And so you need to have the freedom to eat whatever you want. That was Paul's first response. But then he goes on to say, but let me tell you something else. If me going to the market and buying this meat and eating it is causing someone else to struggle in their faith, then I'll just never eat meat again. And he was serious. And so Paul said, this is the thing that gives us sound judgment. If the decisions that I'm making as I experience freedom in Christ are causing another brother or sister to stumble or struggle with the faith, it's better for me just to do without than to cause them to struggle. So there's your first question that you can ask about sound judgment. Does my choice cause someone else to struggle or stumble in their faith? Second question you can ask yourself is this, can I live without it? The resounding answer is yes, most of the time. I just thought I'd share the answer to that one with you on this. It's amazing when we put ourselves in the situation and we realize the vast amount of things that we have and we enjoy and there's nothing wrong with them in life, but there's things that we can certainly live and do without. Second question is, can I live without it? There's a, there was a quote in the day, in Paul's time, and the quote was, everything is permissible. I mean, it was just this, you can do whatever you want, live however you want. Sound familiar to our day? I mean, it does. You can do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't hurt somebody else, that's fine. So the quote of the day was, everything is permissible. Paul takes that quote of the day, and here's what he says about it in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. And so Paul lived his life in such a way where he said, yes, I have the freedom to do whatever I want to do, but if I don't need it, then why am I making such a big deal about it? Just because, okay, I can live without this. I can do without. So do I really need this? Can I live Without it, that will help you make some sound judgment as you're facing some decisions in life. Third question is this, does it build others up? Is the decision that I'm about to make or how I'm going to decide in my parenting or the job decisions I'm going to make or the way that I'm going to live my faith out or the response that I'm going to give to this email or the way that I'm going to do, is, is it going to build others up? Or is it just something that makes me feel good? 
You know, is, is what I'm going to do going to build others up? He takes that same quote again in a different area, and he says it this way, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Sometimes the choices we make aren't building people up. So if you want to have sound judgment, you can begin by saying, well, the things that I'm going to do is it going to help build people up. And there's one more question you can ask yourself when you're looking at a situation and you're going, I don't necessarily know how to navigate this. I don't feel like Scripture is telling me exactly what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. You can ask yourself this question, does it bring God glory? Does it bring God glory? For me to be able to do this in the way that I'm thinking about doing, is it going to glorify God and who He is? If you will take those four questions, I'll read them backwards. Does it bring God glory? Does it build others up? Can I live Without it, would my choice cause someone else to struggle with their faith? If you take those things and you use those as a filter to help you navigate life, you will have the spirit that God has put in you of sound judgment and this tool to put together that will help you navigate whatever it is that God has put you in life. Whether God has got you right now in a season of rejoicing and a fullness of life that is great, or whether right now you're in a season of difficulty and struggle, which I know many people are. You know, anytime you get this many people in a room, you have somebody who's having the best day of their life and potentially somebody who's having the worst day of their life. And that's just the truth. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to stand up here and talk about some of these things because I know what some people are dealing with, but I have confidence in the fact that no matter what you're dealing with, God meets you right where you are if you'll let him. And so we have this spirit of sound judgment. Paul kind of sums it up this way in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, so let's just put it this way. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. If you will set to your heart and to your mind <coughs> that whatever you do, you're going to do for the glory of God, then you will be living out what it means to have a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment. And you'll be living that out for the power and for the glory of God. And you will experience the full life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10 where he says, I have come so that they can have life and have it to the full.